With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales, wherever in the world you are today. So it is October 26th. Uh, Bitcoin has finally kind of pierced that twenty thousand uh, dollar, you know, kind of glass ceiling. It's been bouncing around on for the for the last few weeks. Uh, I will say overall, we're heading into midterms, and so it, blockchain overall uh, is not a massive sexy asset class today. Um, I think Web three is is currently sitting in a bear. I am absolutely going to say it's not a winter. There's way too much innovation. There's way too much interest. Um, but that being said, I always say, you know, during the bull, like everyone has to have a very different focus on how do you capture, um, you know, financially and kind of energy wise, the, the, uh, the, the momentum in a, in a bull in a bear, we all get to kind of take a step back and really say, what did we learn during the last cycle? Um, where's the innovation heading and how can we provide utility, uh, as well as kind of usability of everything that we've seen so far to date. Uh, my guest today is, is, and I'm super excited for this one. I, this is a good, uh, geek out moment here. Uh, Kier Finlow Bates, um, generally referred to as blockchain Gandalf, as I've heard in a few, in a few, uh, circles as well. Um, but, but Kier, I can't possibly introduce you as well as you can introduce yourself. So if you wouldn't mind just taking it away. Hi. Well, uh, first, thanks very much, Jay, for having me on the, this podcast. Very much appreciate it. Uh, I'm Kier Finlow Bates. Uh, I live in Finland, but I'm English, as you can probably tell from my accent. And, uh, yeah, I've uh, been working full-time in blockchain for seven years. And looking at it, starting in 2010, I think that's the uh, first year that I actually looked at it. It's either 2010 mm -hmm. uh, or possibly early 2011. I haven't got an exact record. Um, but uh, it's been my passion for the at least a decade. Yeah, it's really hard when you when you know because I my first uh, Bitcoin purchase I was able to figure it out and finally it was you know early 2010 I bought a hundred of them for twenty dollars um, and just because I was curious about the technology but if you remember way back when you were probably there with me you know they were really talking about this is a test of what a theoretical digital currency would look like they never said Bitcoin to the moon or you know hold on to these things forever it's we're deploying this we threw away the keys play around with it, but, you know, something in the future is going to come. Well, for starters, I have to say you, you were one step ahead of me in actually buying some that early on because I made the classic techie mistake, which is I was absolutely fascinated with the technology and I downloaded the code and read it and ran it on my computer, turned off the miner because it came with its own miner built into yep, it yep. in uh, 2010. And I turned it off after about half an hour once I had understood what it was doing. And then I think I grabbed my first Bitcoin from Gavin Andreessen's faucet. And at that time, uh, he'd been giving away five Bitcoin to anybody for free um, back then. Uh, because as you said, it was considered a sort of a test. I don't think at that point, people were even convinced that was going to be the final thing that there might be a 
another release or version coming out rather yeah. than everything oh, being absolutely. built on it. Yeah. So I didn't actually buy my first Bitcoin in 2013, which is uh, why I'm still working. I mean, I've done okay out of it, but uh, I, I don't get to kick back on a, on a remote island and drink my ties. Don't, don't worry. I, I threw all mine away. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, because uh, because when you have to when you have to upgrade your computer, you know uh -huh. there's certain things that you move. And remember, like I know everyone thinks like you know cloud storage and everything is free. Like mm -hmm. you really had to think about what do you want to transfer from the old crappy computers to the new computers. Um, yeah. And you know the the way I always put it because people are like, oh my god, I can't believe you threw it away. I said, I want you to go find your Tamagotchi. Your Tamagotchi is now worth ten million dollars. Where is it? And the reality is that if you don't care about it back then, we had no idea where these things yeah. were going to go. Yeah. And so, you know, your your true history is your uh, mathematician. Is that correct? Um, that's right. I when I was a kid, I wanted to be a chemist, and then when we actually did chemistry classes, I discovered that I am absolutely appalling at practical experiments. I could never get a titration within three cubic centimeters of what it's supposed to be. I, I you know, you pour two chemicals into a jar and they're meant to turn blue and mine would be the only one that turned green. Um, and so I moved on to thinking, well, maybe maths would be a better thing to focus on. And uh, then I went to university and studied maths, did a PhD and was a maths lecturer initially. My, I think the first paid job I had that wasn't a summer holiday work in a factory kind of thing uh, was as a mathematician. So I guess, yes, I started as a That's mathematician. That's fabulous. So when yeah. you when you look at um, and did you ever have any you know prior you know financial um, traditional financial training as well or or was it pure from a ma mathematical standpoint? I had absolutely no knowledge of economics, and I, I mean, you know, I kind of thought of it. I think as arithmetic, you know, <laughs> maybe a bit yeah. of multiplication. Why do they make such a big deal about it? That that has been the greatest learning from from Bitcoin and from blockchain is that I sort of, I mean, it was, I was in my early forties when I first saw it, you get to that age, you think, yeah, I know pretty much most things. I've got a pretty good view of the world. I've read some philosophy. Um, and then I had to go look at economics and I suddenly realized I, I, I didn't have a clue how money worked. I had no idea where it came from. I had the understanding of money that a six-year-old has, that my six-year-olds have. You know, it's the stuff that you have in your wallet or in your bank account, and you go out and you buy things with it. And that's how they see it. And of course, they don't ask, well, where does this come from? Um, and, and how is it made? Because that's a really quite a sophisticated question. And it turns out the answer is really, really complicated too. And I have to admit, I don't fully understand the interaction between government, central banks, retail banks, investment banks, how all these things fully connect together. I've got a, a bit of an understanding, so I can kind of explain it to somebody who has no economics knowledge, but anybody who's looked at this in detail will realize I'm still patchy there. So with that perspective, and I'm really excited to hear this, do you recall kind of your initial um, theses, um, your own perspective on when you read uh, the white paper by Satoshi, whoever Satoshi is? Yeah, I. the first thing about the paper is it's remarkably short. I mean, you, you look at it and you think, this is eight pages, right? Then you discover that actually there are layers upon layers underneath it. 
and it is incredibly the individual sentences look fine but it's incredibly densely packed with meaning and satoshi must have spent an awfully long time thinking about this it it's like the equivalent of einstein's uh, relativity paper which was only four pages long by the way um yeah in the succinctness of it and then the impact that it suddenly has when you start to think about what the implications of what's being talked about are so i first looked at it in that kind of um cliche way of the um five blindfolded people presented with an elephant and they all grab hold of a bit and it's like it's a snake it's a tree trunk it's a piece of rope um so i initially uh, thought the consensus system stuff was really interesting and uh, and actually to be fair that's the key computer science element of it nakamoto yeah. solved the um uh, a consensus problem that's been an open problem in computing and unfortunately although it is a practical solution it's not actually that useful in uh theoretical computer science because it's it relies on the incentivization of the parties in the system and so it moves into economics in that sense and i think computer scientists would kind of hope for a purely theoretical solution rather than one that relies on psychology um but it is what it is and it is a great breakthrough yeah and and you know from the consensus standpoint again we have a lot of users uh, and listeners that <clears throat> understand very well i would love to hear just your like how you explain uh, what's occurring with with Bitcoin's proof of work from a mathematical standpoint, because your perception is is very unique. Well, um, it's a lottery. It's uh, it's about uh, probability. So uh, by getting your computer to run the software and perform these, they describe them for some reason as complex mathematical puzzles that need to be solved. They're they're not complex. They are not puzzles. It literally is a grind. It's just here's an algorithm. Turn the handle. Get the answer out. Is it the answer you wanted? No. Try again. Which is very much like buying a lottery ticket. Buy the ticket. Did the numbers come up? No. Throw it away. Buy another one. Um, except yep. that you were buying. Well, initially it was millions of lottery tickets, and as more people joined and threw more resources at it, you're having to buy billions of lottery tickets to stand a chance of winning. And so it's completely probabilistic, and somebody could find a solution on their first try. And just as you could buy one ticket in your life and win the Powerball or whatever it's called in the states, uh, or you could be buying tickets uh, by the truckload every single day and never win. It's it's down to chance. Yep. Now the odds are that if you play a lot, you're going to win, you know, fairly regularly. And if you don't play at all, you guaranteed not to win and if you play just once then you might be lucky but probably not so all these miners are doing the digital equivalent of buying lottery tickets every second billions of them and one of them gets the winning ticket that says you're allowed to make the next block which they then do and they do this because when they submit it they also get to put in a transaction that grants them bitcoin it used to be 50 then it went to 25 after 4 years then 12 and a half now it's at 6 and a quarter so it keeps going down um but the, yep. the but the price of it on the whole keeps going up and that kind of compensates and that's what keeps the miners incentivized to buy these tickets yeah and, I, and one of the things i find so interesting and we'll <laughs> we'll move off bitcoin here in a second 
but the the core concept of the havings and mm-hmm. that kind of future proofing of of where this could go if just let run indefinitely over the course of time um, that you know miners today are are the primary drivers of of the market so um, if if the price is up and high they need to sell less if the price is low they're gonna they're dumping because uh, they've got electric costs and right now there's kind of that uh, triarchy of of just horrible you know chaos in that industry because you have high energy prices low Bitcoin um, and kind of a, a cooled uh, economic climate so it's 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 one of the reasons why Bitcoin is is not rallying on some days from your perception um, though as we've seen now the the advancement from just Bitcoin and Bitcoin forks um, to kind of the Ethereum when it was on proof of proof of work as well. Um, what what did you see when you saw kind of that Bitcoin and now this theoretical like internet computer of Ethereum come online? <clears throat> well, to be honest, when I first saw it, I didn't get it. I I thought, okay, so I can put these computer programs on. I can put the source code actually to them or the byte code for them on a, uh, a blockchain and then other people are going to run this code and all try to get the same answer and uh, if they do then uh, great um, and if they don't there's a problem and either the, so it's kind of I, and I looked at that and thought well you know I, I've got Bitcoin here I can just write software that interfaces with Bitcoin and that sends transactions that I want um, and I can write complex code and I can fix it why do I want to use uh, a system where instead of me writing computer programs to detect transactions, respond to transactions, um, uh, why, why do I want to put that on a blockchain? And so I really only started looking at it in about uh, 2016, I think, with Ethereum, and then really switched most of my efforts from Bitcoin to Ethereum around about 2017, 2018. And I, so it's was that it, with it the was that with the advent of uh, e- ECR twenty was that when that came in uh, around about that time yeah um, oh. I think maybe it may well have been that ERC twenty actually uh, had the you know turned on the light bulb for me actually explained what was going on here because before all these standards you kind of had to invent everything yourself and patch it all together yourself and you and. Uh, Vitalik Buterin wrote about it in the uh, um, in the white paper, or, or was it a yellow paper? I can't remember the color. <laughs> but uh, um, he had a whole section on what it could be used for, and he was saying, you know, sort of um, automating trades, exchanging. I mean, he described a whole bunch of the applications implementing tokens, um, having. So he talked about a whole bunch of the things that we now kind of take for granted. But back then, he had the vision. And people like me, unfortunately, didn't. And it was only when individual people started uh, putting together these templates, saying, here's how you can deploy a fungible token, here's how you can deploy a non-fungible token, it started clicking. And especially the Lego-like aspect of it, that all this stuff is deterministic. So as long as you can assess the code, that's its one Achilles heel. Uh, Then you can say, yeah, I know under what circumstances this fungible token contract can mint in a way that I don't know about uh, the central banks and the governments of a nation. Um, And then here's another one that allows you to swap tokens. I know how that functions so I can make predictions as to what will happen when people 
interact with it. The people are unpredictable, but the way the system responds to what those people do is entirely deterministic. And that's what you want. You don't want it not being, you want it to be able to make up its mind and say, yes, you have transferred this, or yes, you have converted this into that. Um, so uh, so it, it's, it's clever. It, it it really is, and and I I agree with you. I I kind of lost interest in, in Bitcoin during its uh, Silk Road <laughs> era, is the way I refer to it. Um, yeah. Primary currency of, uh, of of illicit substances around the dark net, um, and and kind of and I remember being like, yeah, good good thing I got rid of that. I don't I don't need this anymore. Mm. Um, and the reality is, had had I held on to them till twenty dollars a piece, I probably would have sold them then anyway. Mm. But you know, now we've got you've now entered this ECR twenty world where standards, and and I'm a huge proponent of standards. Um, I, shockingly, I do believe in common sense regulation. I think a lot of regulation goes mm-hmm. too far. Um, but I think that you do have to have reg, you know, standards and regulations for consumers to understand what is the playing field? What are the rules of the game? Um, and then from there, you know, it, it's we want to take advantage of those rules. And I think that blockchain does a really good example, or, or not example, a really good job in a lot of cases of helping to set some rules and set some standards. Mm-hmm. But um, they don't always work is the, <laughs> is the problem. And, and sometimes they don't scale. So, so, you know, kind of before we get into the modern era of blockchain, which is today. So, you know, kind of that, that 16, 17, 18 era with the ICO craze, mm-hmm. what were, what was the feelings that you were having back then watching just everyone and, and their, their friends, you know, deploy a coin, deploy a this, deploy, mm-hmm. you know, just deploying things on chain just to deploy. What, were you seeing that this was the future or did you feel that that was just a bunch of people testing it, testing a new technology? Um, I, I looked at it and actually at the time my uh, business manager was saying, shouldn't we be doing an ICO for our product? And I said at the time, absolutely not. Um, because I'd been reading about the history of the SEC in the, uh, the US, right? Now, I know a lot of people in, in blockchain are kind of boo to the uh, SEC coming in and spoiling our party. Um, and I do think that the SEC has a bit of an image problem and a bit of an overreach problem at the moment. But the principles yep. that they were set up for make perfect sense. You know, the, you'd had the Great Depression um, following the stock market crash. You had a whole bunch of people taking advantages of loopholes. Um, I think uh, Joe Kennedy, the father of uh, JFK, made a fortune through insider trading because that was legal. Well, not legal. That was not illegal at that time. Um, and... Yep. Uh, and Roosevelt signed the two acts for uh, the SEC uh, in 33 and 34, I think, um, to protect people against unscrupulous behavior by um, uh, entrepreneurs and speculators in the stock market space uh, who understood the system better and knew how to manipulate it to their advantage and the disadvantage of all the uh, ordinary investors around them. So. In that sense, it's it's a good thing. Um, and when you look at what was going on in a lot of the ICOs, they were securities. They were doing exactly the, case, the kind of stuff that uh, was going on in the 20s that we now say that's not, that's not acceptable. You, know, it's, it, uh, you have to publish full information. You have to uh, uh, register the people who are doing this need to be known so they can be found and prosecuted if they're committing a fraud. Uh, so th- these things all make sense. Um, 
Well, I think the issue I have with the way that the regulation, particularly in the US, is going is that uh, the, the two things, they're approaching it as though it's just like all the other securities. And it's not, it's something new. It has security-like properties, but it has a whole bunch of other properties. And um, I, yeah, so, and the second thing is that they've kind of got a hammer and uh, therefore they see everything as a nail. So when you've got um, this, the Securities uh, Act of 1933, then everything looks like a security to you. That, that's their purpose. So, uh, and I, I wish I'd seen more from the, um, uh, the commission's side. Uh, so the commodity side. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And and so I remember that era, you know, pretty well. And it was every day, here's the the three dozen new coins that have launched and the three dozen projects that, that you know, have <laughs> and a, you get you jealous, know, kind don't of you? a fly-by-night. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you would watch and you go, you know, I, I just like, okay. And, and, and again, remember the wallet situation was not what mm-hmm. it is today. There was a lot of issues with holding these and where do you get them and DeFi didn't exist. So you were, mm-hmm. you were kind of buying on these really sketchy websites and, mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of things because um, the on and off ramps weren't what they are today. So, you know, but one of the things, and I love that the concept in the talk about the SEC and, and kind of a, there's a lot of three-letter agencies in the, around the United States. And I talk mm-hmm. quite often about, I, I just wish that we had some common sense regulation around, mm-hmm. you know, blockchain technology that, that was at least on par with what we did with Web1. Um, you know, Web1 was allowed to run rampant for a very large mm-hmm. amount of time to really have it, you know, let it find its foothold, let it figure out where things are, you know, and they started layering in and go, hey, you know, Digital Music Copyright Act, you know, that those types of things started to kind of roll in to protect um, some some IP and some, some intellectual property that was suddenly like, hey, <laughs> this stuff mm-hmm. can be sent globally in seconds and, and it's, it's a lot easier to do now. Um, but, you know, blockchain's not been given. And in my opinion, that that same credence, uh, we're taxed, you know, more heavily than than most other asset classes, um, you know. And and I will say that a little bit of this this cat and mouse game that we have going on with regulators, um, as well as kind of some of the good DGENs that want to stay anonymous and, and really test the technology, mm. um, it is it's it's short term gains, um, and and I think it it's also short term kind of hurts a little bit of our credibility. But you know, long term, I, I hope that we can find the right people to put in the right seats that understand um, there is immense amount of value for humanity mm. with blockchain. I mean, to me, it, it is the largest game changer since Internet One. Oh, I, I agree um, with pretty much everything you say there. Uh, the I, I do think Web One didn't have the issue that blockchain does because it didn't have the sheer quantity of cash involved. You know, that mm-hmm. when, it, when it first came along, it was dealing with things like sharing uh, academic papers, newspaper articles, pictures of your cat, those kind of things. Um, indeed, once it, start, yeah, um, once it started encroaching and we were sharing um, music files from rock bands and uh, videos and using it for gambling and things like that, then you could see why the government came in. But I guess blockchain moved so quickly so uh, the when you think about it, it's shocking that uh, you can go from something that doesn't exist to um, being worth a trillion in the space of a decade. I don't think you see that yeah, very and, often. And, yeah, and and a trillion dollars, you know, again, that's it's it's we can actually see go on chain and you check mm-hmm. the oracles and you can verify that's the amount of dollars in. 
with Web mm-hmm. One, we have no idea what IP yeah. was locked up. We have no idea how many dollars were transacted. There was nobody reporting these things. Credit card companies, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, I don't know, we're just, we don't yeah. we don't know the difference between this. And and we also saw with you know Amazon as well as any other online retailer, they were given a pass on traditional state. Uh, state and, and federal taxes. Like you could, <laughs> you could save seven to ten percent by buying online um, to help that asset grow. And right. you know, I, I constantly say this that you know, when you convert from Bitcoin to wrapped Bitcoin, it's a taxable event. You can't even use a ten thirty one like kind of exchange. You know, we're going from one property to another. So certain things on the books that I think would apply um, mm-hmm. are, are being bypassed. But um, you know, from from your perception. Regulation, you know, only gets us so far. You know, we need innovation, um, mm-hmm. and you have multiple patents, uh, multiple innovations that you have done in the space. Would you mind talking about some of your your kind of uh, more exciting ones? Well, I, I'm not sure the word "exciting" really applies to them. Um, I started. We're we're, uh, we're 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 Web three geeks, man. This okay, is this is right. great for us. Yeah. Well, most of my IP is actually based at the sort of fundamental level. So I was looking at uh, consensus systems. So I got a patent for improving the mechanism for selecting validators, for example. So uh, uh, I haven't really followed up. I should have a look and see what uh, exact how exactly um, the Ethereum staking system works, because who knows, maybe they've infringed. Um, and uh, I did a whole bunch on supply chain. And I was particularly interested in how can you um, map real physical objects uh, to digital objects? And the answer is it's really, really hard. Uh, we've, we've faced this in other industries. This is why DRM hasn't really worked for music. The music and movie industries have been saved by streaming. It's People yep. would still be pirating in vast quantities in those industries it would be suffering if streaming hadn't come along because we all stream because it's a lot less effort than going to some weird torrent site and hoping that you can get a decent copy that doesn't have massive Korean subtitles on it um, of the movie you want to watch. So, um, and yeah, so, so the supply chain one and, and linking um, physical assets to digital assets is a hard one. Um, but I've got a few things to do with um, RFID tags and how they can interact with mm. blockchain nicely. Um, yeah, and I, I, things like and that. I will right off the bat agree with you. I think logist- logistics companies um, are mm. one of the key, you know, kind of stand to gain the most from this. Uh, I, I dealt with international logistics for 20 plus mm. years of my career. Um, and, you know, we had entire departments of people that did nothing but make phone calls to figure out where things are. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. is this? When's it coming? Where? When's it going to get here? And blockchain, um, if adopted by an entire industry, could could save vast amounts of money, time, resources, and 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 I mean, across the board, it's a win. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if you look at the um, uh, shipping manifest, for example, it's shocking that the, these are they look like an entire pack of photocopier paper. It looks like a whole ream paper, um, but. One of the issues is when you've got one of these systems, it's uh, they're built up over tens, in some cases, hundreds of years. And there are all sorts of processes that have become baked into the system that's used. And it's quite possible somebody 50 years ago made a decision that we now do this, and then everybody's been doing it. And at that point, you knew why they made that decision. Now we just do it because it's the process. And 
Consultants come along and say, well, we can remove that. That's got no point. Turns out if you take it away, the whole thing unravels. So there's an immense amount of knowledge in the legacy um, logistics systems. And I I don't think it's a trivial problem to step in with blockchain and uh, replace what's there. It, it brings a bunch of example uh, advantages, um, the particularly on the sort of settlement side of things and then the avoiding the he said, said she said um, debates that you get. I mean, that's actually where my patent um, uh, came from. And my first one in uh, supply chain and, and blockchain was uh, a courier claimed to have delivered a parcel to my house, but I never got it. And uh, mm. parcel never turned up anywhere. And uh, so eventually the seller sent me another one. Um, but what can I do? If a courier says, I was there, I handed it over, and I'm saying, well, I, you didn't hand it over to me. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know where yeah, the signature came from. I think what you from. run into, mm. yeah. You know, but this is a standard problem. And I, and I will mm. agree with you, the, the concepts of a true open ledger. And, and you know, I'm not a, um, you know, one chain to rule them all. I think there's, you know, a multi-chain universe coming through. Um, but, but this concept, and I wrote a paper, an unreleased paper from years ago, which was centered around the fact that, that blockchain technology, it doesn't matter what chain it is, is the first time that these companies that have been running 1970s and 1980s infrastructure, you know, old AS400s mm-hmm. or, you know, Oracle 8 systems still today in operation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time when they, when they really should be looking at it's time to think about upgrading. Yeah. Um, we're not ready there. But this is the this is the solution. You're you're uh, there's I know companies, banks, you know, billions of dollars on the books that are running Oracle six and seven, um, mm-hmm. and there's no upgrade path to a, <laughs> to a more modern system um, because there are exactly as you stated, there are these black boxes. Um, meaning mm-hmm. servers in the basements. Um, with at this point in time, there's dozens of of um, you know battery backups and generators around these things because if mm-hmm. they go down. Not only does nobody know what's in there, no one knows how to boot them back up because yeah. the people that wrote those languages, the, the cobalt coders and everything else, again, that was the way you did it back in the, the 80s and 90s. Um, you just start from scratch, code something, and you have a team there to manage it. And so this is the first time that I think a lot of these, these big companies, big, I mean, when I say big companies, I'm saying multi-billion dollar companies can finally have a solution to start slowly start porting out and understanding what these, these black boxes do. Mm. It's it's kind of shocking when you think about it, isn't it? That uh, you 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 could indeed have a black box in a basement somewhere, and if that goes down, then uh, you're done for. Um, I know um, in uh, Cambridge, I have a friend who was a computer officer for one of the colleges, and they had a problem with their internet, and they finally tracked it down to an old Spark server that had actually been plastered into the wall. It, they, they put a false wall in front of it when they were redoing a room and nobody knew it was there. And uh, when it went down, their access to the university network was gone and uh, it took them nearly a week. And then a, um, a hammer and a chisel to get it out to fix it. <laughs> so, um, And that's just for it, a college so students can have access. Uh, thinking about billions it, of dollars it moving is, around it is. through it. Yeah, no kidding. And it's and 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 again, let's talk about you know billions and trillions of dollars moving through it. The number one, 
consumer today, right now, of 56K modems um, is companies related to our SWIFT system. Uh, a majority of the archaic infrastructure that connects the uh, the global financial data um, in a lot of cases is still using dial-up modems. Um, and, you know, fiber exists. This is not new. But the problem is, is that the systems of which these, these uh, databases live on is so old that there's no way to plug in an always-on connection. It just knows dial, dial up, um, mm-hmm. you know, send a packet of data. And then close down and, and do yeah. it again. And, yeah. and so I really, I'm excited for, for what blockchain can do um, in, in a world to solve some of these issues. Because if these things go down, like it causes ma- you know, major issues mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah. People scrambling to find RS-232 connector cables, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. You know, I got a box of those somewhere. Oh, I <laughs> think everybody, who, everybody so, who used computers in the 80s has. Yeah. Yeah, because because we were there. You know, listen, that was even when we had Radio Shack, you could run number two. So mm-hmm. so, Kier, when we kind of think about where blockchain is is today, and I mean, we're mm-hmm. we're dealing with uh, multiple iterations, multiple bear and bull cycles, of which we've kind of gone up and down, and and you know, the the latest uh, craze of of this last bull was was NFTs, um, and to me, it was the exact same. What it was watching the ICO craze all over again. Um, mm-hmm. Whoever had the best marketing, you know, seems seems to have done the best. Uh, but as soon, as soon as the uh, the the bull en- ended and the bear started, um, you know, anything that didn't have real world utility, real world access, or you know, kind of a, a traditional real world value, um, went to zero. You know, the perception of it's mm. rare because it's on blockchain. Um, I mean, that evaporated real quick. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, the funny thing is that there are still surprisingly large communities of very enthusiastic partic- supporters of particular projects. And uh, mm-hmm. I think they've, they seem to have survived. And, and what this has done is wiped out the quick speculators who thought, I'll just copy that, flip the JPEG and release another uh, 10,000 and I'll sell them. And because these ones are selling for 50 ETH, mine will sell for five and I can retire comfortably off the uh, profits. And, so it's really good to see it wipe that out because I found that intensely irritating. My Twitter feed was just completely jam-packed with yet another pointless um, profile picture uh, project. You know, it, and and the the bull run was so ridiculous with some of these that right at the peak, I remember watching a Solana project on, I don't remember what the name of it was, but these guys were, you know, beautiful website, massive Discord, you know, Twitter and all this other stuff. And, you know, you got the notification like, hey, here's the, the mints today and this is the highlighted mm-hmm. one. Like, oh, let's take a look at it. Um, and, you know, it, the active discord, here it comes, everything's going. And, you know, minting starts and you just, you, you see all the mints and everything else going. And then like five minutes into it, like the discord goes down, the website disappears, everything like just poop, like total mm-hmm. rug pull and gone. And yeah. there was some people chatting in other channels and I was watching this and somebody goes, for the amount of energy and effort, couldn't they have just generated some stupid NFT and we all would have been happy? <laughs> like, <laughs> instead of giving us nothing, like it was so e- like they've already done all the work, you know, yeah. go spend the hundred dollars on Fiverr and make some randomly generated garbage. And, and uh-huh. it would have been, it wouldn't have been a rug pull, it just would have been a shit project like others. <laughs> what was, there was that one NFT project where everyone was very excited about what it was going to look like. And then it came out with a bunch of really bad 
Pokemon ripoff uh, characters. Crypt- I think it's uh, Kevin. Uh, CryptoZoo. Yeah. And that was just yeah, funny. The, uh, oh no, don't don't worry. I still have my I still have my egg. I'm going to hold <laughs> on to that one and and remind it reminds me like that it doesn't matter who's promoting it if it uh-huh. doesn't have real world utility, doesn't provide access to something, um, yeah. then then just ignore it. And even yeah. and even then, it was this thing had all the it should be fine, but whatever. Yeah. So, but utility's hard, right? That's the issue. It's very easy to just churn out ten thousand pictures and say here they are, um, to actually make. A system that uses those—that's tricky. So, with you having kind of a really, I, I would say, uh, better level of understanding than most of proof of stake, um, mm-hmm. and really understanding how not not just proof of work 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 is, but proof of stake. What do you believe is? Do you believe there's a limit on transaction speeds? You know, TPS uh, for modern chains. I, I know Ethereum is is still running relatively slow. Um, they'll mm-hmm. they'll get there with the next few iterations. Um, right now, I think Solana is kind of capping at around forty thousand uh, TPS and some some tests before it, it reboots itself, um, with the goal of you know about a half a million TPS. But but do you believe that that's the metric that a lot of people should be watching? Is it is it needed? Um, well, I think to start with, the the transaction limit is a combination of how often the blocks are generated and how big they're allowed to be. And so it doesn't really matter if you've got a, a staking system or a proof-of-work system for that. It's actually at a lower level in the architecture of the system. So, uh, you know, that's where you had all the big Bitcoin fork wars, where some of them wanted to make the block size bigger so they could fit more transactions in, and others wanted to keep what they saw as the purity of the system. And uh, that's the chain that is now the biggest, and you can have tra- seven transactions a second. So Ethereum is kind of limited by the amount of gas that you can spend on producing a within a block. So... And that corresponds to how many activities you can undertake in a block, which are like transactions. Um, could also include deploying contracts, which I guess are not, well, they're not transactions in the usual sense of the word. Um, and that's why they're looking towards this idea of sharding, of having these multiple parallel blockchains. That's kind of, you know, if you can, if you can only handle X transactions a second, but you can have 10 clones of your chain, now you've got 10x. Um, some of the other systems, yeah, they just pack more into the block size. Um, it's not an area that I have spent an awful lot of time on. Uh, I do think that at the moment, Ethereum kind of wobbles along okay until there's a, a, a popular event and then it goes down. But uh, um, my bank seems to have the same with that, that it works really well, except for certain times of the month when lots of transactions are being processed, I guess. Um, so yep. I, I do I do my accounts a week before the end of the month, not at the end of the month, because it, it's invariably the time <laughs> that the online login doesn't work. Um, so, uh, so I think, and there are a lot of solutions out there that are trying to fill the gap that they perceive. Um, you know, Binance Smart Chain and Polygon do it for Ethereum. Solana has it as a big selling point. Um, I think they're all facing ultimate doom because eventually Ethereum will evolve to cope with this many transactions and then all these layer two chains are going to become irrelevant. So I hope they're making hay while the sun shines because cloudy weather is going to be coming in soon. And 
I, I think this one may be easier than the one we've just had with the move to the proof of stake. So I don't think it's going to take as long. No, I, I, I absolutely, um, you know, from an investment thesis, I, I invest in layer zeros, layer ones. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hold no layer twos for that exact reason. I think that a lot of them are doing some amazing things. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're 100% relying on a layer one, um, that's, that, that's a tough, that, that's really tough to, to say mm-hmm. because we've seen, and, you know, that history repeat itself time and time and time again uh, with innovators. Apple, you know, absolutely. If there's an app that's, that's good enough on their app store, mm-hmm. eh, you know, it, it may be a core, a, a, a core integration that they have on the next release. And so yeah. that's, that's kind of the challenge you have is, is being in someone's ecosystem and not controlling it. Mm. I mean, Amazon does the same. They actually create products that match the successful ones that uh, small stores have, and then you're wiped out. So, uh, so when you look at the current landscape, and let's let's take Ethereum, uh, Solana, Polkadot, and and you know, there's some other you know, there's some other really interesting ones out there. Like to me, mm-hmm. I think that those are you know, if we just take those three there. So Ethereum, um, you know, been around forever, just made its move over to, to proof of stake. Uh, Solana is you know, there's a you know, they they don't do as many of the contracts. You know, things like NFTs and and tokens are all built in natively to the code, so you have a lot more to work with there. And then you know, Polkadot with its parachain model where you can have lots mm-hmm. of chains that interact with a single chain when you don't have to go back and forth. You know, how do you how do you rate those innovations? Do you feel like they're, you know, kind of all the same or there's are we seeing kind of the splintering of blockchain going off into different uh, different directions? Yeah, well I, I think there's certainly space for more than one chain or two. Um, and particularly for certain well, I would say niche areas, but some of these niches are pretty big. So uh, I, I'm expecting at some point a, uh, a viable uh, GameFi chain should step to the fore. I haven't seen one that says, hey, you know, we're, we're the chain you want to be using if you're producing games. And I think that's partially because the games, um, the progress of games in blockchain has been disappointingly slow. And also, it's focused too much on the cash side and not enough on the wow factor. Back to the blockchains you mentioned. So I've not really looked at Solana. There wasn't anything when I first saw it that said to me, this is one that I really want to devote time to because um, I, I, I often spend a day or two looking at a new blockchain, getting a sense of you know what are, the, what are the things that make it interesting? Can I summarize in a sentence or two what this blockchain does that another chain doesn't do? Or is it even a complete con? Because there's quite a few out there that are a lot of those, have, yeah. So, um, and there wasn't really anything that jumped out at me in Solana that said this is one that you want to pay attention to. There, there was the transaction speed, but I can, um, I, I've never really hit a major problem with transactions on Ethereum. There have been a few times where it's been overloaded, but I just sort of waited. And I, I guess maybe I'm maybe I'm patient because I um, receive. Um, payment from a number of clients in the US. So I'm, I'm used to it taking a week for the pay to get across sometimes. <laughs> um, and, uh, but uh, it depends on the banking system. Some are very good, but some are, especially ones on the Eastern seaboard, for some reason, are really slow, um, which is funny because they're closer to Finland. Um, yeah, no, no, it has nothing to do with transaction speed. That's just the way they operate. Yeah. Um, well, one so, of them sent me a check once, actually, about four years ago. I hadn't seen one in nearly two decades, but you know, do they still use them in America? People still have checkbooks? 
I, you know, it, it's it's how I pay my ex-wife. I just want her to know that there's like, here's a physical piece of paper, which you're going to have to go to the to the bank and right. deal with. I'm not going to make this easy. Oh, my daughter laughed her head off when I explained. I, sh- I got the check and I showed it to her and said, I've got a check. Can't even cash that in a Finnish bank. And she said, what is it? And I was saying, well, you have this book and you write an amount of money in and you sign it and then you can pay with it. And she just went, <laughs> you know, because as far as she was concerned, you're, you're telling me you're just basically writing your own banknotes, right? <laughs> and I'd have to explain, no, the bank then checks that you're allowed to do this and removes your balance. But her first take on it was just, I could just see in her eyes, she thought he's just described forging money to me. Um, so, uh, it, it, in some days, it feels like that. Explain mm-hmm. to her what a cashier's check is and how terrifying that is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, walk down the street with a hundred thousand dollars in your pocket. It's a bearer bond. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And no, nothing I could I could be less interested in than, than a, a cashier's check. So, so, Kier, when we're kind of looking at you know where's things are heading, you know, today and going down the down over the next few years. Um, clearly, you know, speed, reliability, security are, are like top of mind, but, but there's mm-hmm. an adoption, you know, that, that we have to manage. Um, I think that blockchain today is still really hard. I think it's mm-hmm. really designed for a lot of hobbyists like us because you really have to know and understand what's happening in the back end to make a transaction work. Um, someone goes on Amazon, plugs in their credit card, and it gives an error message like, it's just an error. There's no big deal. Someone goes on to blockchain and, and interacts with a contract and there's an error for all they know, their wallet was just emptied and all their content's gone. And you know, like it can be horrible. What, what are, where's the evolution going in, and you know, to help kind of facilitate some of these safety, uh, safety nets or safety features for blockchain? Um, well, I think it's, it's gotta be usability foremost. And, uh, and the problem we have is the examples we have from Web 2 are not particularly impressive. So Web 2's had this problem and they have just bolted things onto it. And so, you know, now you're sitting there, um, you're trying to log in, you've got your password wrong, you need to reset it. And then you're getting text messages, you're having to call up authenticators that are on an old phone that you um, have in the back of a drawer. and. Um, I think the thing I would say is try buying something on your PlayStation for your kid, right? This is something I go through every couple of months when a kid wants more V-Bucks, and it takes me typically 15 minutes to half an hour, and I'm going between my phone and my desktop and the games console, and it just yep. it's just an absolute nightmare, and you're like trying to put passwords in with a controller on, on one I mean, it, and I use long, secure passwords because I use a password manager on my machine. And then I set up the account on the company, the game consoles uh, company's website. So I have a 26 character password with question marks and hashes and, you know, funny characters in it. And, and then I'm supposed to enter this with a, you know, with a little kind of clickety click. Um, and it turns out that it doesn't even have some of the characters that are in my password available on the uh, little pop-up screen that I'm having to select from. So, so Web2 hasn't solved it, and they've just patched things on to try and fix problems, which is the way we do things, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like a car engine. You look inside a car engine bay, it's, you know, there's the engine, and then the other 90% is all the things we bolted onto it to fix the problems with the engine. Um, so, uh, 
So hopefully so a, we could, sorry, go ahead. No, so that's a really good analogy. And I love the idea of, you know, web one and two is very similar to, you know, repairing a car, repairing a car. Mm. If you, you take it out on the track, um, you know, there's a problem with it. Come back, come back in, mm. we'll fix it. No big deal. And, you know, like there's an entire system of you're going to buy the brand new car and we're going to have to give you the warranty because we know how often it's going to break and we need to see it. Yeah. Um, in, in web three, you're launching a satellite. You get, you get to get it right. And at most you may be able to do some minor patching, but for the most mm-hmm. part, like you don't get to start over once it's been deployed, it's on chain and it's there forever. Um, do, are we really, you know, kind of prepared for that forever uh, standpoint with blockchain on a lot of the things we do? Mm. Well, we certainly have a problem at the moment, which is that Web2 companies come in and start doing this stuff. And uh, a fair amount of my work over the last year has been dealing with these companies and trying to get them to understand. And if they, they, you've got these young developers who've been working in, only in JavaScript and they've become used to the fact that you can do over-the-air updates, that you can, it's the website, you can fix it. Hey, you, you know, um, you just you can even restart with uh, the web server, and it, it seamlessly puts your new changes in. So, uh, and then suddenly they're faced with the fact that they're supposed to write a smart contract that is going to be deployed and could be being used for the next five, ten years. And what's worse, it could potentially have billions of dollars of value flowing through it. Um, and of course, ultimately, the blame lies with the uh, project admins who are hiring these developers to do these things because they're trying to cut corners and cut cost. Um, and uh, so, it, it that needs a big shift. Yeah, and one of the things I think that's really interesting is is a number of people that are innovating in, in blockchain have no idea how some of these processes are in the mm-hmm. real world. Um, for example, you know, I, I own you know multiple companies and, and I deal with payroll, both domestic and international. Um, for domestic pay, payroll, you have to start five business days early. Uh, for international payroll, you have to start seven days early to move to move you know money through the proper channels. Um, mm-hmm. Now, to be clear, if I wanted to send some some money to you, Kira, we could you know and, and 10 seconds flat, you know, give me an Ethereum address, boom, boom, done, you know, solved. Mm-hmm. I could, if I, if I need a service from you, I can pay you. We would be bypassing all legal channels and <laughs> I would be causing quite a number of, of issues around our, 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 um, our country and, and the Department of Labor would be very upset with me. So mm-hmm. if I want to stay on the good side, I have to play by the rules. The, the challenge is, is that right now there's no happy median that exists to go from a seven-day process, seven-business-day process, to a seven-second process. There's no way for me to span that gap. So either it's mm-hmm. instant and we've bypassed all safeguards. You know, if, if something's wrong with that wire, I can go, whoa, hold on, let's let's pull it back. There's, you know, there's safeguards and circuit breakers in place. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you, do you feel that, that you know, speed is one thing, but how do we get to kind of reliability and trust uh, in blockchain to kind of keep some of these institutions that do exist for good reason um, in the system? Yeah, well, I, I think you're right that uh, the people who are, who initially started working on this thing, have not been stuck in the middle of a large financial bureaucracy. And they just see the the result of that bureaucracy. Delays, awkwardness, hard to find the right person to contact, to get a complaint through. It just sort of churns along like a juggernaut. Um, but And indeed, when you're an individual, you know, if I'm a, I'm a contractor and I'm dealing with a small company, you know, we don't want to have 
we don't want to use the kind of processes that a government finance department does in order to handle its finances and nor should we have to and most of the kind of employment law that countries have recognizes the fact that you don't require the same level of auditing for example for a hairdresser acting as a sole trader as you do for a multinational investment bank which you would want to scrutinize quite thoroughly um and and you're right that the, how do you bridge this gap how do you move from a large cumbersome a cumbersome process that's there for a reason to span the range and i don't think that we have all the solutions out there um although it is funny how you're right uh, people are reinventing stuff and uh, they're actually reinventing and think they've come up with something new and then people come in from conventional finance and say well yeah we we do that already in foreign exchange or we do that already in um you know futures trading you you've not come up with anything new um but yeah it's given us a whole bunch of new tools and with any luck over time it'll integrate itself into those systems and hopefully make them better the fear is that it'll actually make them worse <laughs> <laughs> well and and it's true i mean the problem is is we've we've created you know these these blockchains and we say these mm-hmm. blockchains are are immutable they cannot be changed they're they're perfect by design this is this is you know perfection um and then we attach bridges of which it seems like somebody spent a a, a week a weekend on uh cobbled together some code and and before you know it billions of dollars are now flowing through these things mm. um with with minimal safeguards minimal oversight and and you know as soon as somebody understands cuz you can you know again it's clear and transparent you can see it all day long um as soon as somebody figures out a hack um you know they're going to take they're going to take advantage of it because of the the ability to be anonymous uh on chain what what's been mm. your kind of perception of watching literally hack after hack after hack uh against these bridges my my biggest complaint about it all is the way we've it's subverted the concept of bug bounties and white hat hackers right it used to be very clear you're a white hat hacker you go to one of these um sites where you tick on a box terms and conditions so that you can't be sued if you find a bug and you promise to disclose it discreetly and there's all sorts of stuff and then you you find a flaw in a system and you submit it it gets assessed and you get a $10,000 or a $20,000 reward and that seemed like quite a nice lucrative you know side hustle for uh, developers if you enjoy that kind of thing and black hat hackers of course hack things and steal and damage and uh, then spend possibly the rest of their life on the run uh, with the ill-gotten gains we've now got a mm. new kind of i don't know what color hat hacker where they start off as a black hat a black hat hacker steal 100 million dollars worth of assets and then they say tell you what i'll give you 90% back if you promise me immunity and in fact label me a white hat hacker and the companies are doing this and of course it makes financial sense right do you look at that 100 million for the rest of your life thinking i can't get my hands on it or do you get 90 million back and you've lost 10 it's worth signing it it's but it's like caving into uh kidnappers um you know this yeah. this reason why yeah, we have this sort of never negotiate with terrorists <laughs> yeah exactly um except we always do right it always comes out that ultimately we always do and the reason is that uh, you look at the the localized 
uh, sort of balance of loss and gain are from a, it's like, it's the prisoner's dilemma. From a local perspective, it makes sense to do it. The impact on the global system, on the other hand, is catastrophic. And um, so that's been the worst impact as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but that's because I'm a test engineer uh, by a trade for like 20 years nearly before I went into blockchain. So uh, the so biggest Keir, thing, of course, is people about... using their assets. That's tragic. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that and that's one of the things we want to safeguard from. Um, so, care to kind of bring bring ourselves a little bit closer to a close right here. Um, really looking forward, you know, let's 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 just kind of theorize and let's go out three to five years. I know it's near impossible with the cycles we have and everything else. Where do you where do you feel the next major innovation center is going to happen around blockchain? You know, clearly we want from a proof of work world uh, to proof of stake. Um, we've seen the kind of innovations around you know uh, ERC uh, twenty, then to ERC seven twenty one, ERC eleven fifty five. I think each one of them has its positives and negatives, um, and and kind of a lot of a lot of the the tech around utility um, starting to trickle into the real world. What's, it's our, what's our next one. phase of innovation? It, it's a hard one. It's um, because the thing about innovation is it's not just that you have to have a great new idea. You have to convince everybody else that that idea is great and get them enthusiastic about it. And this is, this is where inventors always fall down because <clears throat> they have this idea that um, if you build a better mousetrap, everyone will be to path to your door. No, it, you, you could invent anti-gravity or invisibility paint, right? Um, or, and unless you market it, no one's going to be interested. And it, it's, it really is that terrible that, uh, it, the greatest inventions, if they're not sold well, and this is where the, the great inventors that we know of in history were also great showmen. You know, Edison was a great businessman and Tesla was a great showman. And that's why we remember them. Um, yep. so, uh, so where it's going to go, um, I honestly, I, as I said earlier, I think the big next market is games. The current games companies are very much against it because they're incumbents. They like the current business model in the same way that the music industry didn't like MP3s because they were quite happy selling us um, ever-improved plastic discs to play our music on. Um, you know, it was a great market for them. So, uh, But the game companies are big. The gaming industry is, you know, it's one of the biggest. It's, uh, I think it's bigger than um, movies and pop music combined. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's right. Clock. It's right there. I, 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 yeah, I don't know if it's if it's eclipsed it yes yet, but it's absolutely heading that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Kira, I, I have to say thank you so much for your, your time today. I absolutely just love hearing kind of the history of how you got into the space and, and your perception on on blockchain overall is is very unique because you do come at it from a programmer level, um, but but not from most of the people that I interact with. Like, here's my project, here's what I built, here's why I built it. Um, this holistic kind of conversation around why is blockchain exist, um, what is what is it doing right, what is it doing wrong, and is how is humanity interacting uh, with blockchain was an amazing kind of conversation. Um, as we kind of head out of here, are there any kind of final thoughts for just how people should perceive uh, the, the Web3 blockchain space when they're just kind of thinking about entering it or innovating in it? How you should perceive the Web3? I, 
I see a lot of discussion about what Web3 is, and people seem to have very strong opinions. We've, we've moved on from the, is it uh, Tim Berners-Lee view of the semantic web, or is it the, um, the blockchain view? It looks like uh, Tim has lost that battle. So the media now reports on it as a blockchain phenomenon. Um, and they yep. make a big deal of it. The funny thing is that from a developer perspective, a, a Web3 website is just a website with some extra code that allows it to write stuff to a blockchain and read stuff from a blockchain in the same way that you write and read stuff from databases. So from a technical point of view, it's actually really not that difficult, uh, different. Um, the, and the impact comes from the fact that it's a very different kind of database. This goes back to the early problems that uh, technical people had with blockchain, which is they would look at it and say, yeah, but I can do that with a database much faster and much more efficiently and much more so, you know, easier. And uh, it took me ages to come up with the answer to that. And the answer is, yeah, but you see, that's a technical solution. And what blockchain is solving is a social solution. It's solving a human problem rather. So it's, it's, a, it's a solution to a human problem, not a solution to a technical problem. And that is a problem of trust. Um, how can people transact knowing that the transaction is going to go through? And uh, so I think that's what it boils down to with Web3 is that we've got to get these um, analogies that explain not just what it's doing at the fundamental level in the same way that you you can look at cars, right? You've got a technical solution, but the thing is that cars change society. It's, and that's the piece that I think is missing in people's minds with blockchain. It, they, they will shape society and we have to understand and hopefully guide that. Love it. Love it. Why, Wills? Uh, this is Kier. Uh, again, uh, we didn't really get to talk about the, uh, you didn't have your Gandalf hat today, but I mean, truly <laughs> one of the innovators in the space. Uh, been around in, in a long time. You've worked on, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of projects, uh, which we didn't get into today, but I look forward to kind of having you contribute. Uh, we're excited to invite you on to our, uh, our Why Whales fireside. Um, but for now, thank you so much, Why Whales. We'll see you guys later. And Kier, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.